This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. On the 10th episode of Leaders in Product Security, Rohit Sethi is joined by Timo Skaita. Timo is a global head of Tech Risk Advisory. He leads the team in assessing new technology initiatives for risk, partnering with engineers to architect and design secure products and services. The team embeds implementation reviews as part of the software development lifecycle and continuous integration slash continuous delivery pipeline via code analysis and penetration testing and guiding technology innovation in terms of security and control across Goldman Sachs. He joined Goldman Sachs in 2020 as managing director. Prior to joining the firm, Timo held senior technology and security leadership positions at Nokia, HERE, and Verizon Media. During his career, he has built and led software engineering and security teams, building and supporting large-scale mobile and internet services. Timo earned a BSc in telecommunications at the Ulu Technical Institute. Hey, Timo, thanks for joining today. Appreciate you coming. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, as always, working with you on something. Likewise. So, Timo, let's start maybe with your background. Can you briefly describe your experience with product security in your career? Yeah, I think uh, compared to some of your distinguished guests on this series, I'm pretty experienced, so to say. I might actually be uh, one of the least experienced in, in, in this category in a sense that I've been working in product security about uh, 11, 12 years. So I know some of your other speakers have been there a long time. I, I spent most of my career, early career outside of security in, in, in different type of roles in technology and uh, only started in security late, late 2009. But for the last 11, 12 years, um, all of my roles basically have had uh, so-called product security as an area of my responsibility uh, one way or the other. It, it's called with different names in companies, but uh, essentially it is, it is a role where you work with engineering teams to help them to design, develop, and deploy secure products. Got it. So I find I always find it fascinating, people who come from different backgrounds, what they bring to the table. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on, on some of the things you did prior to taking on security. Yeah, so I went back and forth in, in different type of roles. So I started my career, funnily enough, doing PC support. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that was my entry job after, after I graduated. And uh, rather soon moved to the networking team. And uh, without disclosing the company or some of the technologies I work with, Let's put it this way, uh, out of the technologies I worked on the networking, I think Ethernet is the only one that is alive still. <laughs> and at that time, it wasn't, it wasn't switched Ethernet. It was, it was thick cable and later on, some thinner cable. But, so I spent quite a lot of time on networking, several years of my early career. Work for, I worked in, in, in Finland, France, US for, for a certain company, and then, uh, then moved back to Europe again, continued networking, and then made a big turn in my career in 2001 when... Uh, and when Nokia hired me to to some rather interesting roles, and I spent uh, the next 17, 18 years sort of in Nokia or, or companies that were spun off from Nokia, or company that was spun off from Nokia. And, uh, and before security role, end of 2009, I, I did all kind of stuff like uh, like running engineering teams to deliver mobile software to Symbian. I run internet standardization for the whole Nokia for a while. I ran technology strategy and technology management for, for one of the three divisions of Nokia at the time, Nokia services, et cetera. So all kind of different roles in technology from staff roles like, like divisional responsibility for strategy or stuff like that to very handsome roles like running an engineering team that develops software as a Symbian and everything in between. So 
I guess I, I, I sort of have been a jack of all trades, which, which actually, by the way, when I, when I moved to the security, the security side of the business, it helped a lot because I had seen so many different angles of, of technical work from engineering work, developing products, supporting them, developing strategies at Cisco times. When I worked there, I was basically in a customer interface. So I've seen the sales side of it, et cetera. So, so it gave me a lot of a really good background to be a, hopefully an effective security leader. Yeah. I I found that to be pretty consistent with the number of people that I've talked to. They come from some kind of background. Most people don't start in security. They do something else. And what I often find is they take some of that cross-disciplinary thinking and apply it to security. So I know one of the areas that you you have some experience with, and we'd like to delve in a little bit deeper is workload and priority management as a key area. So you were telling me these are key issues that we need to tackle in product security. Maybe you could help me well, with a couple of stories. Yeah, well, as we were discussing with you, like we were thinking topics for this, this discussion and, and obviously looking what you have talked talk before with other, other things, other people. So this, this seemed like something that I could maybe keep some light in. Um, with all of the teams I've managed and worked with, there are two, two constant problems always. The workload is always more than you can do. And, and, and that's obviously driven by two different factors. One is that, that security very rarely uh, is staffed at the level that you can handle all the BAU work without having a backlog and having to think about priorities, et cetera. The other big driver for the workload is like most of the security people are very uh, proud of their work and they feel very much that they are responsible for the security of the company's reputation and the individual products. And that also quite often leads to a, a, a way of working where people take their responsibility very seriously and they overload them, themselves with the work and responsibilities, trying to make sure that everything that goes out as much as they can meets the requirements for the company, regulation, whatever is applicable, and easily leads to a, a rather heavy workload for the teams. The combination of never enough resources, very responsible team, and wanting to make sure that everything is good. Um, and then priority management, obviously, is another challenging problem because uh, most companies do have different type of uh, processes and ways of managing priorities, uh, either in Agile or Waterfall, more, mostly obviously Agile nowadays, but making sure that the security is plugged in in the right places, right time, et cetera, et cetera. But I have yet to see a company where this works perfectly and you don't get a situation where a team comes to you and, and tells you that sort of a make me secure. I need to I need to get out of the door next week or the week after and I need to pass a security review and get a permission to deploy. And, and those two combined, the workload management that is always more than you can do. The workload is always more than you do. And then priorities within the workload management and then the ad hoc priorities. So I, I could keep you, there's been multiple ways that that my different teams have tackled it. Like people have different variations, different preferences, how they manage it, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I could give you a, an interesting example of a, a method that I hadn't seen before and hadn't seen after in, in one of my last jobs uh, that initially when I looked at it, I felt mm, this is a bit like, uh, like, looks a bit bureaucratical and, and maybe there's overhead here. But when I saw it in action and then, uh, so some of the results that the, uh, the the system, when applied properly, produced, uh, I was actually pretty impressed and uh, it worked out well for us on that team. I, I had a product security team that had decided to implement implement basically a bi-weekly sprint planning and sprint methodology. So they basically 
plan their two weeks always ahead. Uh, they use the normal software engineering methodology where each one of the engineers has 10 points that they can allocate for the two weeks. Uh, they do sprint planning, they do grooming, they figure out from their backlog, each one of the review or other help tickets that are needed or even non-ticketed work. The, the beauty of this approach is that for ticketed work like official review requests or other requests that come through Jira or other tickets, you can estimate based on the experience of, of your work, you learn how to estimate those tickets and you're going to know is this ticket going to be two days, which is two points, or is it going to be five days or whatever. But also that system allows you to accommodate for ad hoc work or sort of design work that is not ticketed work quite often, which is you actually work with an engineering team on an upcoming product that needs some new design features, some design approaches, some brainstorming. And you could allocate like three out of your 10 points or five out of your 10 points, knowing that next two weeks you're going to, speed a week, you're going to spend a week working closely with the engineering team on the design. No reviews, no, you know, no formal Jira tickets, but you're going to spend that time on design with them. So the team implemented that pretty religiously and, and followed that, that, that system and it gave us, gave us multiple big benefits once they learn how to do the evaluation and the point, is this thing going to take two points or, you know, two days, five points, five days, or all 10 points, et cetera. It gave us a couple of really nice benefits uh, that we could use as a team. First of all, for every two-week sprint we knew, are people basically supposed to be under normal workload, which is 10 points? Or we knew... Uh, some people, because of the backlog, because of some of these urgencies, this thing needs to go out. It needs to be on our next two-week sprint. Are uh, some people knowingly taking 13, 14 points, 12, 13, 14, like going over the 10 points. So we know that they are stretching for those two weeks. And we know that it can't go on for weeks and, and it's got to be an exception, et cetera. Uh, but it also then gave us the, the, besides knowing which one of the team members were at what load, who were overloading themselves on a knowing basis. It wasn't ad hoc. We knew that they could overload, which gave us a nice way of managing that with the employees and, and making sure that they understand and this can't, you know, cost be continuous uh, phenomenon, et cetera. Uh, it also gave us an additional big benefit in terms of prioritization. So once we laid out the two-week period and we lay out, laid out the plan, these are the things we're going to work for the next two weeks. When we get, when we got these ad hoc requests that we, I yet to see a security team who doesn't get them. We could actually have an informed discussion with the requester. Okay, here is our two-week sprint planning. Here are the things we have committed to do for the next two weeks. What of these things you think are less a priority than your request and why? And obviously, if, uh, if we were dealing with the same business entity and same leaders, it was an easier discussion. But if we were dealing with a situation where we need to pump somebody else's priority from different organizations. It, it involves some cross-organizational discussions. But overall, we were not talking like we feel we are overloaded. We feel we can't accommodate you. <coughs> we were giving answers purely based on our backlog, uh, based on our planned work for the next two weeks and the prioritization within that work. And, and, and a very practical example uh, at the time we were using this methodology uh, we had done sprint planning for, for the next two weeks uh, on Tuesday. And one part of that sprint planning engineered a, a portion of my team, two engineers dedicated to a very important project of, of migrating certain data to data lakes. And we had basically agreed the next two weeks sprint with the data lake team. Like the, here are the things we commit to for the next two weeks, the other priorities. 
Come Thursday, the, the same week, two days later, I, I got an email from the chief data officer for the company, basically saying that you're missing a key priority for us. And I said, well, hold on, like we just did the planning on Tuesday, what, what's going on here? And uh, apparently there had been some misunderstanding within their own team. But again, the planning we had done then allowed me to basically ask the CDO, okay, so here's the book of work for the next two weeks that we committed for your team to do. Which one of these we're going to trump so that we can slide in the work that you think is, is the highest priority? And, and again, that's it helps in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in many situations where even if you have really high level executives involved, they will understand that you, you actually, you're speaking from the point of view, you have a plan and it's visible. The plan is visible, it's defensible. And, and you can argue from that point of view and, and have, a, have a right discussion for the right reasons. As I said, there are many ways of doing it. I'm not advocating that this method of adopting software spring planning is the right one you know, for security, but it's a good example of, of, of many ways to get it done. And, and again, it surprised me very positively how, how well it worked and how much help it gave us on prioritization discussions. Now, the downside of that is that it adds a little bit of bureaucracy and, and over, overhead, but I have yet to see a workload management system that doesn't do that. But it also adds a process kind of you, you have to stick to a process and a way of working and commit to it to make it work. But I think the results are pretty good uh, based on what I saw at the time. That, that is super fascinating. I feel like it is definitely a reoccurring problem in this space where we, we all wish that this work was well planned ahead of time and you had a great visibility, but it doesn't always work that way. Of course, it's not a security specific problem, but it certainly happens a lot in security because there's this degree of urgency and making sure you've done your quote unquote, security review or assessment. I'm curious how that contrasts, that kind of environment sounds like, and then that, that process sounds like it um, really helps to provide clarity and visibility and transparency to your other stakeholders and business partners. If, if you could um, compare that or contrast it with another experience where you didn't have that kind of visibility and, and how the conversation went. Yeah, I've had those also in my career and, and, and the, the challenge is, is is when you get to those those situations where you are being pushed to accommodate a business priority and uh, if you don't have data-based uh, data-based discussion like you don't have factual data that you point to for the discussion on can we do it and if we can do it what does it mean like what do we need to delay etc then it becomes really a discussion of, of why can't you guys stretch like just do a bit of a little bit of more etc cetera, etc cetera. and also it becomes then uh, a discussion where uh, potential decisions about delaying something lowering somebody else's prior priority are not really database it's more like we think that we are overloaded we think that the, we know these are the priorities roughly but we think that people are overloaded and we sort of think we really cannot take on this work without delaying something else. And, and you can get it done. I mean, if, if, if the security team is well-established and the company highly respected, et cetera, even that discussion is not, it's not necessarily too complicated, but it, it does not feel as comfortable as a discussion that is data-based. Like this literally is, you do feel your team is overloaded and looks like people are doing a lot, but in reality, you have no concrete proof, like where is all the time going of all the people and which one of them are basically uh, really loaded versus some with a lesser load. 
And actually, that discussion is even more complicated when you don't have the data when it comes to use of specific resources. Like if you think about a request, like let's say you get a request for something specific that requires an SME and you only have one or two of those SMEs or limited number of those SMEs in your team. And especially if you have like one or two of them and, and it's a job that requires really highly competent, one of the top, your top performers, those people are typically anyway in high demand. Like they typically run almost always like, like in a situation where it's, it's an overflow and, and, and the leadership needs to protect them and make sure that they, they don't work themselves, themselves to, to, to burnout, et cetera. And with those type of resources, it's even more complicated when you don't really have a good handle of like what is really the actual workload. And since these people always work with important things, urgent projects, et cetera, that discussion is, is even, even more complicated than with some lesser demanding projects, et cetera. Um, so in, in terms of specific examples, I, I don't know if I can point out to any specific members on the, on, on the carrier because unfortunately these have been more common than, yeah. than this example where like I've only had really one really, really good system, which was this sort of a software sprint planning type of system. Uh, most of the others have been mostly ticketing-based systems where you manage the ticket queue and relative priorities within those queues, but there is less sophistication in terms of like what's the average time this ticket needs versus the others and, 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 and so on. Yeah, no, but I think it gives a good flavor to what the challenges are with without taking some kind of more structured approach. And it also, I've certainly seen it where that kind of thing, you, you uh, deny a request from a stakeholder or you kind of take a priority for one team versus another and <clears throat> leads to strained relations and the strained relations then manifest themselves in problems later on. So you can see how those things can be pretty fraught unless it's, unless you have a lot of transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm actually, I'm personally nowadays even more worried about the people themselves, like my team members right. in the sense that, uh, that as a leader, I'm paid to handle those situations. Like they, they always are, conflicts of interest and there are difficult situations. I mean, in security, you end up having these uncomfortable discussions for a number of different reasons. So, so that's what I'm sort of a paid to do. But like the other aspect is really the people, uh, our staff members, team members, thinking of the last year, it's, it's been very hard for the people in terms of the workload and the boundary between home and work has disappeared right. uh, pretty much completely. People have had more time uh, hopefully for themselves, but quite often for work because they don't commute. You save two to three hours a day on commute and many people seem to be putting that time into work. So, so managing their understanding and managing their, their workload when they are at home and, and trying to see signs of overcommitment, stress, burnout. That's what worries me nowadays even more than before. And, and again, it's the other really important element of workload management. Like your people are your key resource. And, and as we know, Security talent marketplace is, is, is still it's difficult to hire good people. So you will make sure you keep them happy, you keep them healthy. And, right. and workload management is one of those key elements to, to ensure that the people actually maintain their mental and physical health and, and work-life balance. Yeah, no, I hear you 100%. That's something I think about all the time in, in this environment. So maybe switching tracks a little bit, talk a little bit about automation. And so the theme of this podcast is the balancing act. And we use that because that's a space we're in. Um, as a company, we, we help people balance the need for speed with uh, 
integrating security into the software development process and, and things like compliance. And of course, that's always a constant tug of war. So yeah, automation can really help with that, but it's certainly not straightforward to roll out automation. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What kinds of challenges should people expect when they start to use automation in their security programs? Yeah, so it, it is an interesting topic because as we all know, automation is key to scale, like in, in everything, not just security, everything in every area of technology, automation is, automation is the, the key to scaling. But uh, in, in security, I, I've seen, there are multiple problems, but maybe I, I could focus on two different sort of high level problems. One is just the complexity of automation so that it's actually meeting the requirements of the security team. And then second, the second point is rather surprising point I've seen at least, which is the reluctance of, uh, of security professionals to rely on automation versus them themselves checking something. Like if I haven't seen it, it doesn't really exist or I can't trust it. In, in terms of the automation complexity, um, it's... It's getting easier as time goes, but on the other hand, there are we adding so many different complex elements there. Like, if you think nowadays, take an example, not just the cloud environments, but then you have hybrid cloud environments where you have cross clouds, AWS to GCP, or you have from data center to your data, to your cloud provider, etc. And if you want to automate deployments and potential connectivity and some infrastructure code checking on that environment. It is not necessarily very easy. It, it can be very complicated. And then in a number of companies, there are no like one way of doing things. Like if you're in a lucky spot where let's say you have a one defined CI CD platform and standard on how do you do CI CD in your company, automation becomes actually very much achievable task. It's still a lot of work at getting things right and getting the infrastructure as code checking right, but it becomes achievable just with work. If you are in an environment where I've been also in my career where the CI-CD environment is fragmented, it, it gets very complicated. And over there, the, the focus in automation has been mostly on checking things at deployment what you can, but then put a lot of focus on, on after deployment, like making sure that everything that is deployed in cloud or data center meets the uh, meets the requirements now the uh the more interesting challenge i've seen in some of the automation especially a couple of years back when i started in in one of my previous jobs as all of the listeners probably know uh we all do a lot of uh different type of security reviews and and again typically there is more, far more reviews than you have team members to do and you have to figure out what do you do with all of those reviews do you not review many of the requests or services you let them pass with lesser review you lower the quality or what do you do and uh, i made a decision a few years back that we we try to automate uh, as much of the review as we can for as large portion of our portfolio as we can so that we can focus the human resources our team members to the core elements of our infrastructure and business like where we do manual in-person reviews and discussions and design code etc the focus would be in those core enabling services that built the security and technology foundation for the company and then on those core services that make the money for the company and to achieve that we would have to find a way where we can make the 
basic review process for a lot of the services outside of the core that we had defined to be a more or less or self-attestation type of process where uh, you attest to certain in-depth actionable requirements with evidence that you've done what is required here, here is the evidence, and we, the security team, do audit checking now and then here and there to see that they actually meet those requirements. Uh, for, for that purpose, uh, I decided to use actually a tool that your company sells, Security Compass, sorry, Security SD Elements. Sorry for me get, getting the name wrong. There, there were, at the time, you were pretty much the only one on the marketplace when I started. I think there are alternatives nowadays. And first of all, the to get that process right is a lot of work and it's a lot of ongoing work. That was one of the things my team didn't realize at that time. It's not too specific. Like with the tooling, we were able to get to a situation where if you were a service that we did not want to put people to work on full time, we sent you the tooling and the tooling basically profiled your upcoming new service, your upcoming major release or major update. And you went through a set of questions that were basically varying based on your previous responses, like are you deploying cloud or data center? Are you a headless REST API versus a website? Uh, do you store PII or user-rated password, et cetera, et cetera? And, and through that dialogue, you answered a number of, I would say, tightening or more precise questions. And in the end of the process, you got anything from 40 to 100 Jira tickets to your backlog, directly to your engineering backlog, where you can start prioritizing and, and implementing them as individual tasks. And we put a lot of effort on making sure that the tickets that came out of the system were contextually applicable to the team. So if you run a RESTless API, uh, RESTful API, you don't get website-related requirements and vice versa. And then we also made sure that they are basically technically actionable by the engineering team so that they do understand what needs to be done. They have examples of what needs to be done and they know who to reach out if, if, if they still have questions, which they quite often have. So practical example, let's say you store something that you have to have to protect. Concrete guidance on how do you hash and solve something or if, if we give you an input validation requirements to an API or website, concrete guidance to like, here's an example how you do it in Java or some other coding language, here are links to other material, et cetera, and so on. So we got all that working. And uh, the idea was that I can have a 70, 30 or 80, 20 rule or whatever in terms of my limited team focusing on the core business and the rest of the business gets this self-service where they get these requirements that are actionable, contextually applicable to them. They execute them. When they have questions, they come to us and we spot check the, the evidence there. What have you done? And uh, the, after the first year, I, I, I had a target for the team that we, we should try to reach somewhere around 70, 80% of our requests going to the automated tooling versus us doing it manually. And... Uh, after the first year, I looked at the statistics and I realized like we were falling very much short of, of any target of, of 70, 80% or, or we were far below that target. And I had a discussion with the team. The main reason was that they really felt that if they don't check the artifacts and the requirements themselves, things are not going to be in good shape. And it's very difficult to feel good about the service going live with their self-attestation and them following our guidance and instructions on the, on the, on the requirements and attesting that they are compliant with that. And, and that's natural, again, like 
It's same with the workload thing, like security professionals feel responsible for the company reputation, the service. They don't want anything go out that might be not adequately secure. But it, we also know that there is no way you're going to have enough resources to check everything. You have to automate to scale. So, so we have this system working and actually engineering teams, I, I was expecting revolve, especially in the cases where I'm finding like 100 new tickets to your backlog. But once we got over the hump of them seeing that and we got better with the tickets and their applicability and their technical content, they loved it. Like Because I gave them requirements into their natural environment in a form that they could consume and work with. And by the way, the tickets were automatically updated to the tool. The status and the content was updated to the tool that we used to monitor where they are. So for the next year, I, I decided to make a change. And I, I told my leadership team that for the next year, I'm setting up a target, a certain percentage that we have to reach. So certain percentages of our cases have to go to the automated tooling. The rest we do ourselves. And by the way, if we don't reach that milestone or that goal of certain percentage of, of cases going to that tool, and it was pretty high, well above 50, it's going to impact my bonus, but it's also going to impact all of you. And, and that year we did reach that number. Now, you could always claim that, like, was that the right thing for the company, right? Was I doing and trying the right thing? We were doing automation to scale, etc. cetera. Uh, let me explain you some benefits of, of doing that. First of all, using that tooling allowed us to address larger amount of services within our company than before, because we were not we are not bound by the people anymore in a sense that we could basically address services that before had gotten lesser attention from us because we just did not have the resources to go and work with them. Now we could send them to the tooling, tell them get the requirements and poke us when they need help and guidance with those. Secondly, uh, it allowed my team to focus its, its resources on really core of the business, both technically and from the money point of view, and make sure that on those areas we go deep. We actually have the time and time and, and resources to go deep instead of instead of basically giving them a slot that is bigger than the other services, but not really the slot that they need. And I, I think it, it's served the business well in a sense that we can ensure that the core of our engine is in, in, in really good shape. And then we could expand the coverage of security requirements uh, to the rest of the company at the scale we had never done before. But again, the funny learning for me was that I, I expected that my team would be pretty happy about the automation and like we can reach more teams, et cetera, et cetera. And actually found out after first years that, that really wasn't the case. They were not easily willing to give up the work they were doing to some automated tooling and trust people doing self-attestation. They really wanted still to check everything themselves. Again, nothing negative there, but if your goal is to, to scale and also focus your resources on your core business, something has to keep. Like I, I, I still, my current job, I'm pretty well-resourced, can't complain. And, and I've been in well-resourced jobs, but I still have to see a security team who tells me that we've got so many people, we don't know what to, what to do with them. Like there's always more work than you can do. That's qu quite fascinating. Uh, great story. And I think um, something a lot of people could... Could certainly learn from. So I appreciate you sharing that context, Timo. Um, I guess as we wrap up here, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners? Nothing specific. I guess in these times of COVID that are testing all of us, please look after yourself and look after your teams. I mean, this is the time when, uh, when we really need to walk the walk, which is like our people are our most critical asset and they need to be looked after. 
Yeah, fair enough. Well, I appreciate that guidance. And it's been a great conversation. Appreciate your time today and look forward to talking again. Thanks, Timo. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer? Check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today. Want more of the Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.